Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original Troubled Manny for Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, Troubled Manny for Troubled Times? Yeah, you that's, like that? That's new. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I don't know. new. <laughs> it's it's taken you over 100 shows to come up with that. Well, no, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to, you know, ease into it. You know, I don't want to, don't want to use up all uh, okay. my ammunition at one time. Oh, I see. You know what I love about you in this show, Renee? Uh, is, is there something? The, okay. <laughs> you're the consummate amateur. That's yes, what I love so much Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Manny. <laughs> well, you know, you know uh, go ahead. Go ahead. You have more to add? No, no, no. no. Go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, uh, I've done a few of these, li- these uh, Facebook live stream uh, things. And uh-huh. if, you, if, if you, you know, do them as, as well as you can... Uh, within the confines of the medium, it's it it comes off as pretty charming, and uh, you know people forgive a certain amount of of amateurishness because you know everybody's kind of new it at, at this thing, and uh, it's kind of ad hoc. I noticed that some people have have tried to like step up the production values, and uh, uh-huh. you know like get uh, you know better mixing or you know add some graphics or something to it, and. It's a very slippery slope because, like, uh, as soon as you start trying a little bit, the you open yourself up for something looking very cheesy. You know, it's it's like people will forgive you the the amateurishness, but but you know, it's do you know what I'm saying? If it's, if you start trying a little bit, it can it can often be like much worse than oh, not so trying. Oh, so you're talking about like all these people, like musicians who are out of work and they're trying to raise some money by. Playing on the on the uh, on the Facebook or right. or streaming and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think they should do it at all. Oh. I've I've watched it. I've, I've watched a few of them and and, and they're not even. I, I it's like forty five seconds, ninety seconds into it, I'm turning it off because it, it just it doesn't go well. Yeah, they know? they're but they're pretty varied, they you know. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. I don't. What's all that that racket over there? It's that uh, somebody's doing their working on their their uh, their rebuilding an engine or something. Um, <laughs> sometimes people will do taxes on, on the the other end of the line. You hear the pages. Well, you know, turning, it was you know? like it was like uh, a few weeks ago when the world had that one concert to you know uh, uh, you know to raise money for the COVID nineteen vaccine and all that and my wife and 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 daughter watched some of it and there were like celebrities like elton john and miley cyrus they were all like you know playing from their backyard and stuff Mm -hmm. and they had they had the ultimate equipment to make it sound right and stuff like that you know but at the same time i'm thinking if i'm like elton john's neighbor and he's in the on a piano in his backyard singing whatever song he was singing, I'm telling, my first thing is to say, shut the fuck up, man. I'm trying yeah. to watch my show or something, you know? Yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it is, it is what it is. And it's the new normal, I guess what they call and stuff like that. So I, I think you should get used to it in a way. It yeah. might be, uh, it might be so, uh, your future as a, as a musician. Well, that's that's a frightening thought. It's it's nice to be playing, you know. It's it's a thrill to go get to play with the band, and and you know, it's it's a substitute. It's not a great substitute. It's you know, really part of of seeing a band is being there in the room with the people, you know, feeling the the 
instruments, you know, feeling the, the actual sound and, and, you know, it's a, it's a communal event. So this is, this is a, a you know, a, a pale substitution by, at, at best, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it does form a certain kind of community, you know, people are there watching at the same time. They can, you know, sort of use their imagination, you know, it's a reason to have a cocktail, you know, like the Troubleman podcast, you know, you sit down and, you know, uh, occupy yourself for a little while and, you know, take your mind off of, you know, whatever else that, that's, uh, you know, bothering you. I don't know. It's a distraction. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a distraction. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I, uh, I have a lot of distractions too. And, 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 and that, which is great, yeah. you know, uh, for this time that we're, uh, dealing with all this shit. Um, and one of them is, um, um, I want to shout this out right now to one of our uh, big, big listeners, big fans, uh, and he's also a huge fan of your band. Huh? Okay. Um, his name is uh, Mark D. Barker. Okay, uh, I know and the name. Guy, yeah, yeah. Do you know this guy? I, I know. I don't know him. I, I know his name. I think we're. You know, I see his his stuff on social media, and he. You know, he. I can see that he's w- watching the iguanas and following the Troubleman podcast. That's, well, this is a guy great. I met. This is a guy I met years ago during Mardi Gras when I used to go, when I used to live above the Circle Bar and stuff like that. This mm-hmm. is a guy who I always just bumped into every first Sunday of Mardi Gras. Okay. And he's a really interesting guy. He's a big fan of the show. He's a big fan of you and stuff. But I just want to give a shout out to him because this guy is, uh, he's, he's, he's really interesting. He, he's got this uh, blog that he has. Uh, uh, you can go to it called www.barkersview.org. And uh, his slogan is "Visions from a Bloodshot Eye." Okay, which I, love. I like that. I yeah, love yeah. that. Yes, this guy was—he was ex-FBI. Hmm. He was a chief of police wow. in a small city in Central Florida, which oh, uh, you know what that's like. But he's got some stories, yeah. man. Yeah, I bet he has some stories, and he sells—he tells them in his blog all the time. You might not agree with them all the time. You might disagree with them, but it, you'll find them very entertaining. He's got his own radio show on www.govstuff.org, which is the second Monday of every month at 6 o'clock. So check him out, Nation. He's really good. And I've been trying to give him a plug for a while, for like the last six months. And finally, I'm doing it. So uh, check out Mark D. Barker's thing. Uh, We should get him Uh, on the podcast, huh? Yeah, we should we should definitely get on the podcast. Oh, cool, yeah, cool. cool. He's uh, and he, yeah, he's got some stories, man. I'm I'm sure he's got stories. Nice. You know? Yeah, let's let's book him, man. Let's book him. Yeah, but anyway, uh, going on to what's been happening. What's going on with you? So you're fresh. Last week you were a little. Uh, yeah. Last couple of weeks, you have just been a little uh, a little agitated. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, a little little um, blue. You know, I, I think I'm I'm coming out of it. I I I, I seem to 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 have a bunch of of activity that I'm, I'm, uh, engaging in. That's, that's like purposeful, you know, it's, which, which helps me. I've, uh, uh, one of my tenants gave me notice that they're moving out in, in a couple of months. And while that's kind of a pain in the behind and, uh, but it, it caused me to have to leap into action and, and take some action and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's better when I'm busy, you know, I, I, the, the more I do, the more I feel capable of doing, you know, the less I do, the, the everything slows down. It's that negative inertia, you know, it's, we, we have to be very careful of it, Manny. 
Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know me. I, that's all I'm, I'm all I'm about. All that, about the know? negative all inertia, the, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, because you know, because the way the things are going lately, it's like I, I just I realized that I, I used to call people, and then I would email people, mm-hmm. and then I would text people, and now I'm just ignoring people. Yeah, well, I noticed <laughs> you, you know? blocked me. You 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 weren't getting any of my texts, and and we couldn't figure out why it was that you weren't getting any of my texts, and finally you got to the the bottom of it that you had actually blocked me. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. Well, I'm, get, I'm, you know, I'm not sure why you did that. Get in line, Renee. Get in line. I'm know? not sure. It really didn't serve any purpose. You can always just not answer me like you do every other time, but to actually not even hear the text that I'm that I'm sending. It's uh, and I didn't know. So you didn't know I was sending them. I didn't know you were not seeing them because because uh, yeah, there was there was yeah. no way to tell. It's the difference between yeah. you seeing them and ignoring them and you not seeing them is the same for me. It seems it's, it seems I can't, I can't tell the difference. Well, right. well, you know, I, I know you usually uh, tweet when, when we lose a friend and you know, we, we've a couple of friends we've lost in the, in the last couple of weeks. So, so uh, before previous to last week, we, uh, the great jellies, Jerry Stiller passed away. The great Jer- Jerry yeah. Stiller. And, uh, and yeah, he, he was a friend of yours, right? And, uh, oh yeah. And big time friend. And, and then from years ago, I used to love him with his comedy team. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, yes, with his uh, wife. Stiller yeah. and, 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 uh, Miram, right? Yeah. They were on the Ed Sullivan show a lot and Carol Burnett and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. He was great. And he was, uh, on, uh, as, uh, as George, Cast- what is all that sound? <laughs> Oh, there you go. There you go. The great Jerry Stiller. <laughs> he's got a, got a lot of problems with you people. Yes. <laughs> he's a great one. Yes, we, 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 we took inspiration from, uh, from uh, uh, Festivus in, in, in the, uh, the, the description or the, the, the outline of the, the uh, for the Trouble Men podcast in in the the airing of grievances that's that's yes. uh, inspired by uh, by Festivus. We don't have the feats oh, yeah. of strength. We have uh, cocktails and airing of grievances, though. Oh yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's one of the most genius things I've seen in the last twenty five years. Yes, I've yes. heard you know. And then but so listen, then, th- go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to no, say this week we lost another giant, another comedic giant, Fred Willard. Yeah, uh, passed away, yes. and uh, I know he was another friend of yours. Well, he was also. I actually met Fred Willard. Okay, years. Yeah, when I was working for HBO Television in the early '80s to late '80s, um, you know, I started out as a PA, you know, a mailboy, whatever, mm-hmm. a gopher. Okay, and one of the shows I was working on, he was going to be a, a, a guest star on, uh-huh. and I had to go deliver him his script. And I was at the Sunset Gower Studios in Hollywood, and he lived out way out towards Santa Monica Mountains and stuff. So that's pretty much of a drive. You know, it's a yeah. good 40-minute drive, you know. And so I drove all the way out there. I knocked on his door, and, and I said, hey, Mr. Willard, I'm Manny. I'm here. Here's your script for the show next week. And, he, and I, it was a, I guess it was a hot summer day because I looked a little frazzled or whatever. He mm. goes, Manny... Uh, you hungry? And, I, and actually, I said yes, I am hungry. Yeah. And so we had a tuna we had a tuna fish sandwich together, me and Fred Willard. Wow, really? He fixed you a tuna fish sandwich? 
Well, he was it was already fixed. He was getting ready to eat one himself. Oh, okay. Kind of. And he had he had and an extra just, one for you. He just you. offered it. Wow. Yeah, and he made one for me, and I sat there, and I was nervous as hell, and kind of like you know starstruck and, uh-huh. and stuff because I, I love Fred Willard from from America Tonight. Yes, and, Fernwood you know, Tonight. Final, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I sat there, and I, I woofed down the sandwich like a dog who you know <laughs> who hasn't eaten in a couple of days and stuff, and, and we talked. And he asked me about my background, like, you know, where I'm from and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it was more him asking me questions than me asking him anything. Okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't ask for an autograph, but it was a really cool moment. And he was, you know, he, he was one of those people who was my friend. Nice. You know, nice, man. You know, and he's dead now. So. Yeah, it's tough to, you know, it's, uh, he's, it's amazing. 85, you don't think of him as being 85. He always kind of still had, you know, retained like a boyish energy about him, you know? I don't know. It's, well, it's, it's he has one of the greatest. Yeah, he has. I know. 85. He always had a boy's charm and a youthful look about him. Yeah. But the funniest thing I ever heard him say is um, that time about 10, 15 years ago where he got busted at a porn video shop. Huh. Don't he got remember actually that, busted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was it was I think it was the early 2000s or something. And he got busted there um, and he, you know, he bailed himself out and stuff. And the press asked him what you were doing there. And he had the best fucking answer. He said, my wife told me to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Nice. You know, which is like, that's the best answer ever. Well, my wife told me to get out of the house. So, you know, I guess I, I was bugging her or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Blame know, it on so. her. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, I mean, ask her. It's her, you know. Don't don't believe yeah. me. I'm just just yeah. following orders here. Right. Well, there's other, there's been other celebrity things in the news which I found kind of curious. Okay. You know, uh, Melissa Etheridge's son, 21 years old, OD'd on a heroin overdose. So terrible, man. So sad. Did you hear about this? I did. I did. You know, and that's that's David Crosby's biological son, right? Well, you He's, know, he that's was the, my he whole was point the, the, is like, uh-huh. why are you getting his sperm? Yeah, you think there might have been a genetic taint there, eh? <laughs> Yeah, predisposition. I, I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, yeah. It's like Melissa. What are you thinking? You got yeah. David Crosby's sperm. Something's going to happen. Something's yeah. bad. Gonna, I mean, the, maybe she thought he was going to get the the uh, the uh, compositional genius, the 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 singer part of the DNA, but really got the dope fiend part of the DNA. Yeah, <laughs> it's a well, crapshoot, man. Story? Yeah, you remember the story in uh, about Live Aid, the, that, that Live Aid they have in the early '80s, right? Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were supposed to perform, and uh, Stills and Nash had some bodyguard lock Crosby in a van outside the dressing room just to keep him from going out and, and partying because yeah. they had to perform like in four or five hours. You know? Wow, man. So, that's that's you know. so sad. No self-control at all. Well, yeah, I feel terrible for, uh, you know, God, to lose a child like that, man. Something you, you, you must never get over. I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Oh, no, it's, yeah. It's got, well, be, hopefully, you know, you know maybe she'll get some good music out of it or whatever. Oh, I don't know. God, yeah. It's worked for other people, but uh, it's, it's not a, not a, not a, a trade off you could, you, could, uh, <laughs> you could handle. <laughs> well, well, listen, mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how you feel about uh, the phase one of New Orleans reopening. 
Well, um, you know, it, it, I, I haven't really experienced much difference. You know, I did take a drive down through the French Quarter and the CBD on Saturday just to kind of make a big loop and see, you know, it came uh, back uh, via Magazine Street just to kind of see who was out there and, you know, whether they're wearing masks, whether it's people in big crowds. And I saw, you know, few people look like a few maybe kind of regional tourists, you know, people walking with daiquiris on the street, just a couple. Now, interesting thing, I, we passed by that Tracy's Bar on Magazine Street, which was the site of the, the big St. Patrick's Day uh, riot, if you will, where they, they, they had canceled the St. Patrick's Day parade, but still outside of of Tracy's, there was a couple of hundred people drinking and clustering, right. and yeah, cops had to come run them off. You. They were saying "fuck you" to the law enforcement. Right. Yeah. So I passed by there, and they were completely open. Now I know it's supposed to be like twenty-five percent capacity that they're allowing bars that serve food to operate at. Well, I didn't go and and count the 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 people in there, but just driving by in the car. The place looked pretty crowded. The bar looked elbow to elbow with people, and I didn't see anybody wearing masks. So, it's people are doing a, a, some some testing out there on their own. They're they're guinea pigging themselves, and I'm curious to see what the results are going to be. And I w- I will be thrilled if you know that all that happens and we don't have any any big clusters of of infection. You know, because that will signal to all the rest of us that okay well you can you can kind of get away with this maybe but uh we'll we'll have to see it's still very early on in in this process how do you feel about it well the phase one i thought was um it 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 just it seemed like uh back to normal in a way because like people were clustering in groups and stuff like that and i never heard so many sirens you know, and, and police sirens going up and down Broad Broad Boulevard, Broad Avenue. Okay, it reminded me of like a year ago, and, and I think the murders are back, wow. the muggings are back, the crime is back. We're getting our numbers I, back I, I up. Think huh? fa- I think phase one's good for New Orleans. Okay, coming back to normal. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. Yes, all you the know? all the shootings and stabbings and uh... yeah, and, and, and the crime in the street mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so well, I think phase one's been a success. For all right, New Orleans. all right. Well, uh, hats getting off back to normal. Yeah, hats off to uh, Latoya Cantrell, our, our mayor. You know, and, and uh, so I guess I guess yeah, she's uh, she's doing what she ne- doing what needs to be done out there. Right, right, exactly. Well, well, you know, Manny, maybe we should uh, get our guest in here because we were talking about uh, about Hollywood and the the movie biz, and uh, it's it's right yeah. right up his alley. Um, now, this isn't a, a fellow I've ever met before. Um, it's surprising because we 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 when I started watching, he, he's a he's a filmmaker. He's he's also like a an artist, a, a cartoonist, a, a comic book uh, illustrator. Um, and when I started watching some of his films, I see people that I know in the in the documentary. Some people that you know as well, Manny. So we'll get oh, in. Really? Yeah, yeah. We'll get into all that. So uh, he's he's a, a student of of pop culture. He's a, a filmmaker. He's he's, he's made a, a lot of uh, sexploitation movies, B movie type yeah. things. He's, it's 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 very fun. The, the and as well as uh, interesting documentaries. We'll get into all that. Uh, so without further ado, welcome. Mr. Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, man. Fabulous. I've been holding my breath ever since you said pale substitute earlier. I'm just trying to get my breath again because that was about five minutes ago. 
Uh-huh. So I, I thought, wow, I am the pale substitute for the show today. That's- no, 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 no. That's no, no, not no. I'm saying, uh, you know, live streaming is a pale substitute to seeing a band oh, in person. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I misunderstood. Yeah, I misunderstood. no, no. You're not a. You're pale. I've seen pictures of you, but uh, you're. you're yeah, no, I need to get some sun. You're no substitute. Well, you know, you spend all the time in the editing room. You know, it's dark in there, right? <laughs> Um, so, so Mike, I became aware of you because, uh, uh, a fan of, of the Troubled Men podcast, uh, contacted me and said, Hey, um, you know, I was involved with this, this, uh, art group, this filmmaking group, uh, <laughs> back in the nineties and we made these really cool movies and they were really fun and we're, we're it's coming up on the 25th anniversary of one of them. And, yeah. uh, and so we're, we're doing a, a, a Blu-ray reissue of it and a new print and, and uh, a book about the making of the movie. And the movie was, was uh, Teenage Tupelo. And right. she said, do you know about this? And I was like, no, I don't, but I'm very intrigued because uh, I like that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's right up me and Manny's alley. And uh, so I started digging in a little bit. And she said, well, here's Mike McCarthy. He's the, the mastermind behind all these things. He's the writer and director and producer of all these. And, and so she put me in touch with you. And as I started scratching the surface, I was like, oh, this is really fun. So I first watched your movie, uh, The Sore Losers, um, which is it's shot in color. But it's got, it's got like every uh, B-movie trope. I was I was making note of all of them. It has like uh, you know juvenile delinquents and like fifties yeah. trash culture. It has like greasers versus hippies. It has flying saucers and a sci-fi element to it. It has pinup girls. It has uh, murder. It has a uh, stripper chic. Uh, the Royal Pendletons, Manny, show up in the movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mike Hurt. And uh, yeah. Mike, you know, I mean, uh, Manny, you know, I was talking, you know, Mike Hurt, right? Matt Ullman today. Oh, okay, Manny Mike Hurt. Yeah, you know Mike Hurt from the Royal Pendletons, don't you? Uh, that band they used to play at the at the Circle Bar. They're good friends of of uh, Kelly Keller's, and anyway, like oh, a yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, yeah, 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 yeah Mike, Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike yeah, Hurt. Yeah. 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 So, so okay. yeah, but in this movie uh, that of 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 Mike McCarthy's. Uh, the Royal Pendleton show up halfway through the movie. I'm like, okay. I was, I made a note. I said, watching this movie makes me want to sniff glue. You know, it's, <laughs> it puts you in that kind of uh, mood. You know, it's kind of Ray Dennis Stuck Steckler. You know, meets Doris Wishman. Yeah. A little bit of Russ Meyer. A little bit of Ed yeah. Wood in there. Um, David F. Friedman plays God in it. Okay. And, and uh, you, uh, I, met, I met Doris Wishman a long time ago. I met I met a lot of those people back in the in the early '90s. They were they were very old uh, right. exploitation people walking around. But I had a pleasure of of getting to know some of them. And David Friedman, you know, had worked with Herschel Gordon Lewis and made the first Gore films in Florida in the early '60s. And uh-huh. He he lived in Anniston, Alabama, which was just a you know a hop, skip, and a jump away from Memphis, where I am. Right. And um and he would he would call me and tell me that he was going to be flying through the Memphis airport. And so me and Jack Oblivion and, and the, just a bunch of us, my wife, Kim, and just a crew of us would go to the Memphis airport. And there are these portals or doors that don't have any signs on them at the airport. You know, you always wonder, what are the what's behind those doors? Well, it's like private bars hmm, really? for, people, for people who fly first class. Hmm. So Friedman's very, you know, gregarious and, you know. You know, he's an old Ballyhoo guy. He's one of the 40 thieves, you know, the the guys in the 50s and 60s and even the 40s that um, basically 
you know, hoodwink people into seeing movies that were probably not worth seeing, but the Ballyhoo, you know, it's all like uh-huh. you guys, you guys do a lot of Ballyhoo for 10 minutes before, um, before the, 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 the pale substitute comes oh, on. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he was very nice, great guy. And, um, I don't know how how many rabbit holes you want me to go down, but um, a lot of the stuff that I do is, 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 is cross connected to comic books and, and punk rock, rock and roll and uh, underground movies. And um, I, my motto for my company, or or I guess my manifesto way back then is uh, Elvis just isn't the king of, of rock and roll. He's the king of American pop culture because when Elvis was a boy, he read comic books. When he was a teenager, he helped create rock and roll. And when he was an adult, he was in 33 films. And those three things are sort of the golden trinity of American pop culture. And I wanted to infuse my films with that those uh, tropes or motifs, if you will. And then my films always have a little something to do about Elvis or Jesse, his brother, on an esoteric scale of mm-hmm. some sort. Uh, even if you don't get it or know what's going on, it's it's always there. Um, for me to talk about on podcast, basically. Right, is, right. Is that why you're? Is that why you're in Memphis, or are you from Memphis? I'm from Tupelo. I, I was conceived okay. in Tupelo, and uh, I was born in Baldwin, Mississippi. I was given away at birth, and um, teenage Tupelo is is my adoption saga, as told as how did a recent reviewer, my, my friend John Bifus, just wrote a review for this book we're doing, and he said that I self-mythologized uh-huh nice uh, well I, I don't self-medicate i self-mythologize right well that's that's a hallmark of memphis uh memphis is known for the self self-mythologizing you know it's it it's, would be nice if somebody else did it for a change yeah. but it, <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah you know nobody else is doing it so <clears throat> right right as chuck prophet says one hand washes the other and together they wash the face I don't know what that means, but I, I like the way it sounds. I haven't even I haven't even done that in a few days. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> you know, I was actually in the last feature that Doris Wishman made when she was very near near the end. Uh, she made. Wait, this, you were what now? I was I was in her last feature, which was called "Satan Was a Lady," and our our friend, uh, Troubleman podcast guest Glenn Styler, was the star of "Satan Was a Lady," <laughs> and so I, I went there with him to Miami and and you know wormed my way into the picture doris was one of those people she said first i'd think of a title and then i'd make the poster or or think of what the poster would be and then i would write a movie based on what the poster was going to be because i knew how i was going to sell it so then i knew what movie to write (laughs) that's kind of like harlan ellison's theory on writing too i think he would come up with a title then write a short story yeah so so man you've done so much work that's how a lot of that's how a lot of films are made at uh at uh places uh a lot of these guys go to like the Cannes Film Festival and they they come with a poster and they get money even though they don't have a script they don't have they, they might have someone tied to it like a big star they don't have a script or anything but they get money to make their movie just on the poster. Really? Yeah, I did that. I, I I've tried to write a western and I thought well screw it I'll just make the poster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I did the poster and the poster adorns my attic. Huh. You know, at least I can look at it. And go, yeah, one of these days. Yeah, well. <laughs> wow. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. here. Okay, oh, okay. Cool. Okay. You, you started talking really real fast, Mike. Weird. That was weird. Yeah, that was crazy. I just got a call from Hollywood. I got to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's why all the fast talking there. 
Um, so, so, so in the man, he just, I don't know if you got a, a chance to screen any of these these movies, but in in uh, uh, Teenage Tupelo and and actually the, the both of, of of your features that I watched, uh, you know, there there's the the you have the whole bevy of starlets. And, uh, you know, with yeah. the, the big hair and the big boobs and, uh, you know, there's, there's always some some, uh, you know, topless scenes that that all the girls wind up, you know, all the younger girls have to have to uh, wind up, uh, you know, playing out. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, you, you know, as a as an independent movie maker, I know you have to get good at talking people into things. That's got to be one of the things that you, you know, to talk these girls into appearing topless you know, and, and, uh, you know, talk people into, uh, you know, giving you location access or, you know, like I know when you shot teenage Tupelo, you went there, they let you close down the main street. Talk about that song. Well, I, nudity is the ultimate location. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, naked women agreed to repeat things I wrote. And that's sort of why it's led me to this podcast today. Okay. I, I just, you know, there's so many different aspects of this. I mean, uh, I, I used to say that my films had long hair because they couldn't afford a haircut. Uh-huh. And, 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 and the thing is the same is true with the nudity. It's like in high school, I was afraid to, you know, ask somebody out or I was afraid to um, have, you know, I didn't know how to go about having a relationship or having sex even or anything like that. But then I realized if you just ask somebody you know, you usually get a, a, an answer. And surprisingly, by the time I was in my, well, I turned 30 when I made my first film, Damsel, This Daughter of Helvis. And I was I was married. Uh, and, and I think also being married ensured a certain amount of trust so that the, the star, potential starlet didn't think I was a creep. Right, right, right. You had he found your... it out later. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I run a tight ship. It's like an, a boot camp for art, uh, Gorilla Monster Films. Um uh, and so there's really is, you know, when people are going about whatever it is they agreed to do, it's very much on schedule, on time. Everything had to happen, you know, when it's supposed to happen because we were trying to make something uh, for nothing, basically, and move on to the next thing because in a matter of days it would all be over. And um, those were sort of these incredible print work ethic and incredible principles that the crew and the actors um, had when working with me that, uh, of course I will always be indebted to them. But, but again, it's, um, when Delena Tanell, who played my mother in teenage Tupelo, want to see some naked pictures of my mother. That's one of the bylines. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I'd never met my mother. I didn't know who my father was. Um, I thought it would be interesting to take the tropes of early sixties sexploitation films because I was born in 63 uh, Renee and I are the same age. Actually. So is Manny. Yes, we're all all the same age. Here. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, I thought it would be cool to say, okay, what is my self mythology of recreating my birth? How I was, you know, what if I wasn't given away? What if my mother decided to stand on her own two feet and say, you know what, I'm keeping the kid. I'm making a lifestyle change. I'm going to Memphis. Um, not to give too much away about the movie, but what what would have been the character arc or the process that led her to that um, crazy decision, considering that she was knocked up by a washed up rockabilly guy who came back from the army and didn't have a career. Hmm. So, um, you know, and then that's really, it really hit me that Bye Bye Birdie was really all about Elvis. And it was sort of like the inverse world of GI blues. And um, 
And so Teenage Tupelo sort of has that aspect, mm. which I think GI Blues was 62. Um, Bye Bye Birdie was like 63. There's a lot of Scopatone worship in it. Do you guys know about Scopatones? Mm, I, I don't. I don't know if Manny. Uh, Is that like a snuff film? <laughs> No, no, it's the opposite. Okay. People are alive. Oh, okay. <laughs> tones were made in France in the late 50s and early 60s, and there was a, a jukebox machine, a Scopatone machine that you could put money in, and you actually would watch a 16-millimeter film loop of the act. Like, if you've seen Nancy Sinatra's Boots Are Made for Walking, mm-hmm. yeah. that's a Scopatone. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's very vivid. The colors pop, and... Um, all these, uh, all anybody who was anybody made Scopatone films um, in the in the early '60s. So I I took the band Impala, who had recorded the soundtrack for Teenage Tupelo, um, or were in the process of recording it, and they played uh, the Scopatones. And Johnny Two Note was uh, Johnny Two Note the Scopatones, and Johnny Two Note was the washed up rockabilly guy that came back from the army who uh, sort of plays my father by way of saying Elvis is my father. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, threw all that in the Cuisinart, you know, and and came out with a semi exploitation, uh, semi autobiosexploitation comedy drama, I guess you would say. Nice, nice. And, and, and after 20, 25 years of looking back on that, we're finally going to have a, a book, a Blu ray. Um, uh, the uh, LP is going to be reissued by Impala. So yes. it's going to be really cool. That's so, so great. And, and like watching the film, I know it was made in the, in the, uh, the late nineties. It looks like it was made in the late fifties, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's, it, you could show that to someone, there would be nothing in there that would make them think it wasn't made in the late fifties. You know, the, well, it's, ha- haven't you guys always gone through a period where you only hang out with people who look like they're from the past? Yes, <laughs> sure. So, um, and I, I, to me, the greatest casting call place of all time is a punk rock club. Right. Um, and, and so in, I was in a couple of bands in the, um, in the 80s and, and early 90s. And then my band days seemed to be sort of over with in the early 90s. But I would still go to the, uh, to Antenna, to the Antenna Club here in Memphis. And, um, and then a new club sprang up called Barristers. Okay. And, you know, I mean, it's my proclivity. It's, it's, uh, I know what I like and, and I, I know all my favorite cartoonists can draw women. I love Russ Meyer films, you know, faster pussycat kill, kill all, you know, that, right. that whole canon, uh, typical canon of sexploitation and all that. Um, Russ Meyer probably being the most well-known of, of those people, but going to clubs and, and, um, and being a girl watcher, and and also looking for weird flaky dudes who you would think that would be funny in a movie and, and you know that kind of thing it did not matter if they could act or not that was not the um, film is a visual medium and when you have no money it's all visual for the most part uh huh I could have been a better writer perhaps <laughs> so so where 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 is your education in film oh it's in a box over here hold on. <laughs> 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 I, I don't have an education. I'm from Mississippi. I don't really have an education. So, okay, you, so there was no, there, there was no, uh, uh, I know you, you probably love film and, and movies since you were a kid and you just wanted to do it. So you just went and did it. You didn't go to, you didn't try to go to any kind of film school or anything like that. No, no. Nah. I mean, I was lucky to even get into art school. I went to Memphis, um, Memphis Academy of Art here in, in Overton Park in Memphis from 84 to 86 and um, got a, you know, worthless bachelor's degree, um, in commercial art, whatever the hell that is. Um, but, uh, I was the first, 
I was the first person at the school who asked permission if I could draw sequential art or comic books to get my my degree. And so I was allowed to do that. Of course, hmm. the school is completely gone now. It's history. And then it was going to have its last its last year this year. And then the COVID virus took care of its final semester. Oh, man. What a awful. How sad. Oh, geez. I, I know. Now, but, do, I mean, do you, there's, go ahead. There's, there's stories there, you know. I was going to say, do you feel like you still got, uh, did you learn things in, in art school that you want, that you still that you wind up using, I don't know, aesthetically or, or, uh, you know, work in ethic wise. School? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, uh, no. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that. Well, I, I grew up on a gravel road, you know, 20 miles outside of Tupelo for my first 20 years. And I went to the same school, you know, I just, I, I was very, we were a very rural, uh, family out in the country. And, um, my whole, life experiences or what I could garner from pop culture was whatever was, you know, given to me, handed down to me. And, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this since we're all like around 57 years old now, but, um, 56, Mike, 56. Let's, let's not rush it. I'm 56. We're all, we're all, we're all 56. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, but I, I not, not to go down a rabbit hole on this either, but, um, I was very keen to know that there was other forms of music out there. I just couldn't get my hands on it. Mm. Um, I remember seeing stories on the sex pistols, you know, on NBC nightly news with John Chancellor did a story on pogo dancing, Uh you know? (laughs) And um, I I knew there was a world out there. If I just had the willpower to leave home, right. You know, like, like the Ramones second album is called leave home when you're growing up in New York, like the Ramones did, you don't really have to leave home because you're living in New York city right but if you're living on a gravel road in mississippi if you don't leave home you're you're screwed but but most people don't you have to kill home well are you are you wind up killing somebody if you stay right. home? <laughs> right so um i i guess your question was about my art school influences i mean just just coming to memphis and being thrown out of the void that i was had been in and Going to art school, getting a job at FedEx at night to pay for my art school, but mostly going to the Antenna Club. Um, the Antenna Club, I think, was a bigger cultural uh, experience for me because that was like nothing I'd ever encountered before. Um, and it was one of the reasons my friend George and I moved here was to start a band, play at the club, get our, you know, go to college, whatever. But uh, I think even then we knew that um, college was a... Uh, uh, it's a means to an end. I don't want to say scam, but um, you know, you run up your debts, and there's no there's no guarantee of anything. Right. Uh, and well, that's it. I work I work at the big university here in New Orleans, and um, these kids are paying seventy five thousand dollars a year in tuition for four years. And what do they get after four years? Is a piece of paper, a big <laughs> fucking deal, and a bill. Yeah, yeah. And a bill and a huge fucking debt. So what well, my my debt got taken away because uh, the small town bank that my that my parents and I had done business with for decades. I mean, like car payments, you know, all the stuff we paid off through this bank. Um, after the two thousand eight, uh, well, right before the two thousand eight regulations, actually, you know, when everything became much more stiffer guidelines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they foreclosed on my dad's uh, property because I had rent. I was the absentee landlord. I was living up here and I had the house rented down there. And of course I just couldn't find anybody good to rent the house. I can't believe I'm telling you all this, but anyway, um, so eventually I couldn't make the payment and uh, the bank took it, but 
all my student loans were wound up in the loan that was in my dad's house note. Huh. So boom, my whole my whole student loan debt disappeared wow. when the house got closed on. And and I gotta say, it's just like this pandemic. You're not going to hear in the media a bunch of positive stories about people who are actually happy because it's in poor taste, I guess, uh-huh. or bad taste. Right. But I mean, I make exploitation films, or I used to anyway. So what do I know about you know poor taste? Is I put the it's, emphasize the word poor. That's for sure. It's your stock and trade, right? 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 Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, Mike, we usually take a little break in the middle of the podcast. It seems like a a good time to do that, don't you think, Manny? Uh, Sure. uh, Uh, You need another another round, Mike? You know, my friend Kristen Hobbs gave me all these Paradise Park loggers from New Orleans. Okay. You know about those? Uh, I do not. I'm not much of a a beer drinker, but uh, but uh, if you want to give them a shout out, give uh, you know Kristen Hobbs a shout out. Certainly, she's the (laughs) she's she's the conduit by which uh, you know the this this by by that you're appearing here. She can't. She can do it. Okay. Can do. All right. I like it. (laughs) Can do. Paradise Park. Thanks, Kristen, for the lubrication. All right. So uh, so we'll be right back. Yes. Take another little break, and we'll get another cocktail, and we'll be right back. And we're back, back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Mike McCarthy. And uh, so, Manny, uh, you know, we have the, the, new, uh, the new sponsor um, that's, that's been, uh, it's been a great sponsor for us the past few weeks, uh, and those, that's Velobar, the Velobar. It's velobar.com. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's great. I, uh, I ordered a case just last week. Right on. And uh, the Velo Bar, if the nation doesn't already know this by now, is a CBD oil protein bar. And it's the perfect thing right now to take that edge off. You know, you were talking earlier about how you're kind of coming down after two weeks of uh, being kind of on the edge. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, Velo Bar is helping me out. Yes. Yeah. And this is, it's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. They're fantastic. Comes in two flavors, dark chocolate and peanut butter. And they'll fill, <laughs> they'll fill you up and calm you down. And uh, anyone right now and forever, I think, uh, it's a plan, it can go to the website, order and get 15% off and free shipping if they just use the promo code Troubled Men. Troubled Men 15, right? in my peanut butter. Yes, yes. Yeah. Trouble Men 15, yeah. I think, is the, uh, the, the promo yeah. code. Trouble there. Men 15 promo code. You use that, you get 15% off your order, and it's always free shipping. Yes. It's a plant based protein from healthy ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's fucking great. Yes. That's all I got to say. And, the, and, and my friend who, who started this thing a couple years ago, uh, he just told me a couple days ago that he's gotten like over a dozen orders with people using the Troubled Men promo code. Right on. All right, Troubled so, Nation. We love the way you're, you're uh, supporting the sponsor, the, the way you're jumping into action, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, we're, we're thrilled well, with that. Yeah, and they, they probably know a good product when they see it. Right. So that's what I'm thinking. Right, know? so you just go to so get out there. velobarcbd.com is the, the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and I love... Their, they have a great uh, a slogan on their website. Uh, it's inhale, exhale. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is fucking fabulous. Right, know? right but, on, right on, right yeah. on. So check it out. So we're back to Mr. McCarthy here, right? Yeah, well, I just wanted to, before we get back to, to Mike, I wanted to, you know, say, you know, if you if you want to support the Trouble Men podcast, you can uh, jump there in the in the, uh, the show notes or the, the Facebook page and, and make a contribution. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Harold McCula, who, who gave us from all the way from Germany, a fan in Germany. Germany uh, gave us a, a very uh, generous uh, 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 contribution to to the cause. So so thank you, Harold. And uh, yeah, so back to Mike. But you know, uh, Mike, I, I, I don't know if you've been following the obituaries. There's a lot of obituaries I, these days, more than ever, apparently, for some reason. I'm not sure I, why. I, I, I only... You mean like my career? No. no well, no. So, so there's a new trend I've, I've noticed. It's, it's comedy obituaries. And and maybe it's just the 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 increase in volume of obituaries where you know I'm there's a bigger pool so I'm noticing more things. So this guy, uh, I'm reading this. What, what's it, Renee? Renee, well, you mm-hmm. kind of broke up. What kind of obituary? A comedy? A comedy? Obituary? Comedy obituaries? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so I'm I'm reading this obituary. Well, first the picture. I'll tell you what the picture is later. But it's the it's the photograph that first caught my eye. It made me read this thing. <laughs> So this guy's very funny guy. He's dead, but uh, he starts off, I finally made it to the obituaries, my favorite part of the day. Every morning before putting my teeth in, I'd flip open the paper and go straight to the obits, undoubtedly my most exciting read of the day. I never cared for the -the run-of-the-mill obits. If I were boring, this is what mine would say, quote, he came into the world this day, such and such, passed away on this day. He was a beloved son, father, blah, 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 blah. Uh, uh, his daughter and pride and joy and goes on. He says, uh, and, and, and survived by these people. And he says, then, close quote, and he says, surviving me isn't easy. If you had the pleasure of knowing me, you'd know that I was the biggest pain in the ass in the world. I prided myself on it. Uh, I think I've read every book on the planet and watched every episode of The Walking Dead religiously. I took great joy in collecting thousands of CDs to rotate the same 10 over and over again on full volume as the neighbors, so the neighbors could enjoy it. Uh, for now, you can find me in mismatched pajamas shuffling down the aisles of a Borders bookstore in the sky. Baba Booey. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, and then so so the picture is a a, a picture of Frank Zappa from about uh, 1972, <laughs> with full thick mustache and giant soul patch and long hair. That's the the picture for this guy's obit. And I thought, well, okay, that's you know he's getting the last laugh cool. here. I like that. I like that. Well, I I always find this. I think there's a site you can go to um, where you could see funny tombstones. Uh huh. And and uh, I've always thought about, you know, what, what would you want on your tombstone? Uh, Charles Bukowski has a great line on his, his tombstone. It says, don't try. Yeah. Which I, I think is hilarious. <laughs> which, which again, like we were talking <laughs> about earlier with the, with, the, uh, with the live streams, you know, if you don't try, however it comes out is okay. If you, if you start trying, it can only, it's, it's, it's going to look bad. You know, I don't know. Could could look bad. Could expose yourself to something. I think you guys are like maybe approaching Zen Zen Buddhism or something there. Maybe. Okay. Well, there was also a tombstone that I 
I saw I saw a tombstone that said, "This place sucks." Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, so so so, Mike, getting back to you, well, you, I ain't gonna have no, I ain't gonna have no tombstones. So, really, you know, really. Everybody's getting everybody's getting cremated. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm getting cremated. Yeah, are you? Our, our, the, our last yeah. guest that passed away got cremated. Uh, you know, Uganda Roberts. He was a guest a, a few guests ago, and he he passed away shortly after his episode. And and he he wanted to get cremated, and he did. So uh, it's I guess a trend, another trend: the the comedy obits and the uh, and the cremation. So so well, I think it's you know it's Earth Smart. Yes, Earth Smart. Yes, it is. Yes. Well, you know, so Mike, I watched one of your documentaries, um, the, the documentary that you made you called, see, uh, called Native Son about the, 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 the creation of the Elvis statue there in, in Tupelo. And you, right, wound, right. you wound that into your whole, the whole story of finding your birth mother from the photograph from Elvis's return. It was so yeah. wild, man. It was, it was really touching and uh, it was very surprising, well, thank too. You for, thank, thank you for watching that. Yeah. yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad you did. And, uh, I documentary, no budget documentary making is, is kind of an interesting road to go down. Uh, I did native son, um, about the Tupelo Bill Beck was the sculptor who, who did the Elvis uh, sculpture. I, I pitched the city of Tupelo on the, on a pose that Elvis, you know, the po photographic pose of Elvis reaching down to touch the hands of the girls. Um, to Roger Marshutt's photograph, um, and that photograph had always fascinated me because my biological mother had been to see Elvis that day at the homecoming show in Tupelo, September 56, 1956 being the complete arc of Elvis, you know, the, the zenith of Elvis's career. He's, he's got 20, he's had 21 years on earth and he's about to have another 21 and then that's it. Mm. So he's, a, he's at 1956 is the half-life of Elvis and he reaches, you know, he conquers all media in 56 right. So, so his, his, um, his life is a, a strange, uh, a, a strange course like that. But, um, everybody in Tupelo was there that day. And the, the thing about that photo that, that fascinated me, uh, was there was a local guy named Terry Wood who was allowed to go on stage because he was trusted. Everybody knew him. Roger Marshutz was just this kid from New York. And I said, no, you get down there. And so all of his shots look up, you know, whereas, Terry Wood shots, you know, you see the crowd and all that. Uh -huh. So there was one, one particular photograph of that, that event in Tupelo where you can see my mother, uh, in the crowd. Uh, and then in the very, very back row of 5,000 people spread across the fairgrounds, uh, Tupelo fairgrounds, you see the people that are going to adopt me seven years later when she has me. Wow. Um, I just got the so, chills, man. <laughs> <laughs> So Elvis is, is sort of that divine figure in my life um, where, um, you know, you just you live if you're lucky, you live a while, you learn things about yourself. And especially if you're an adopted person and you don't know a lot of things about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and it was in my best interest and self-therapy. It's more about self-therapy than it is self-mythology, I think, um, to turn this into art, you know. Right. So you felt that, like that was a, a healing. Uh, so, you know, when you started off to, to make this film, did you understand how it was going to end? Did you already have all that in mind or you just started going to cover the, the, the statue and the, and the, and the guy building the, the, 
the the uh, the sculpture, and I don't know. Well, I you know I I just at the time um, the, the the tourism bureau in Tupelo approached me in 2011, and where they were coming up on the 35th anniversary of Elvis's death. And they said, you know, we know you, you know, you made Teenage Tupelo. There was one guy there, uh, Sean Johnson, really hip guy that actually came to the Teenage Tupelo premiere in Tupelo. If mm. You can believe that. OK, um, it, it took it took 15 years for that to happen. And we did it in a little bar on the outskirts of town. But it happened um, and uh, met met Sean that night. And uh, he said, I'm going to call you and we're going to talk about this or that. So um, I actually. I actually was paid to do a, like a 15 minute tourism video called Tupa Love uh, that I wrote and directed that starred Amy LeVere. Right. Amy uh, LeVere. She's she's the, the wife of our previous Trouble Men podcast guest, Will Sexton. Yep. And she appears yeah, in, never, in Native Son. Yes. Yes. I've never been able to talk Amy out of her clothes, but she has she's, probably she's been She's very more, demure. Uh, yes. She's she has a she's a modest sort, it's a, which is we love about Amy. Yes. <laughs> Well, and I, I had the honor of, of uh, you know, putting on a crazy wrestling mask and marrying them because I'm a Universal Life Church minister. So I married wow. Will and Amy at a bar here a few years ago. And my Uncle Dan played from Tupelo as well. Nice. Um, I, I finally, when I finally started meeting my family members, it, you know, they were like a crazy group of people. Um, and I looked more like them than they did. And of yeah. course my joke was even the women had sideburns, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like crazy. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know what you want to know about native son, but I did Tupelo. Oh, I did Tupelo. And the scene that I wanted at the end of Tupelo was there to be an Elvis statue at, at the fairgrounds uh, in the pose of him reaching down to the girls. And, um, but there was no time for that. We had to shoot Tupelo, but I'll be damned if a year later, uh, networking through Sean and getting Bill Beck was to do the sculpture. We had a freaking Elvis sculpture. It's down there now in Tupelo and you can go visit it. Um, it's not on the exact spot where, you know, the flatbed truck was where mm -hmm. they performed, but, uh, it's in a spot, you know, basically you put sculptures in places for, um, foot traffic. Right. So you were actually, uh, part of that being there. I mean, you were, you were an element of, of that thing existing. Is that correct? Yeah, I pitched the city on it because it's it, so crazy. Part of my well, it is crazy because part of my obsession with um, with Elvis and and Elvis is key to the birth factor of of this woman that gives birth to me and then this other couple that adopts me. Um, I mean, he was there in this sort of genesis moment, right? And uh, and then the more the more I looked around at regionally, culturally. Um, historic preservation, all the things that I know you guys are probably concerned with. And I know new Orleans is going through problems. Oh, uh, Memphis is going through the same problems where, um, not, not to be cavalier, but it's amazing how you have to educate people on their own history. Um, and even then they may not care, but, right. um, a hundred, a hundred years from now, 500 years from now, all this stuff is going to be so important. And I tend to think in those, in that regard, um, Elvis's homecoming show in Tupelo and the year that he lived in 1956 is the penultimate capitalist American story. So, you know, if, um, if Sam Phillips and the creation of rock and roll is the greatest capitalist story of all time, um, because of how it assimilated different art forms and was purely American and, um, and people made money and some people didn't, but that's the whole fabric of capitalism. That's the nature of it. Um, 
and and how it changed the world and now how it's kind of forgotten or it's a novelty or something i don't quite get that at all but the reason i think rock and roll has been forgotten in the in the way that it has is because we do not care to remember it in a historic perspective it, you know in, in like statues and historic markers and don't tear down the buildings where these people did things right. um and, and so the more you know i don't know who's listening out there but the more you can become involved in the musical history or pop culture history of your community of your town of your street to save things um it it i think it it it, it puts your heart in a better place it puts your soul in a better place well you bring up uh, how rock and rolls is you know, people don't remember what we remember growing up as kids, rock and roll. But, you know, with this whole quarantine that's been going on, my daughter's been home and she's a teenager. And yeah. she, in, in the past couple of months, I mean, for the past few years, she, she just listens to the worst music, you know. But <laughs> in, the past, she, yeah. in the past few months, she's, she's actually, because she's been quarantined and she's watching movies and older movies and stuff, She's discovered classic rock music. Huh, okay, like Led Zeppelin and hey, stuff? Manny, hey, hey, Manny, you're, yeah. sounding, you're sounding like a boomer. <laughs> I think we're Generation X, right? We're right on the cusp. That's, that's what I, that's yeah, what I, I keep telling my you kids. Know, I, um, but um, so I, I was kind of appreciating it for a while that she's listening to like the Stones and Zeppelin. Nice. And things like that. But then uh, about a... <laughs> Uh, what happened was that she started looking through our vinyl, my wife and I's vi vinyl, you know, collection. Yeah. And she was hearing this stuff also through her Alexa, whatever. She discovered Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Right. You know, which it's not one of your favorites. Of, oh God. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's like listening to uh, what's that singer from rush. That band Rush. Really, you you put those guys in the same category as Rush. That's that's harsh, I, Manny. Like, well, I, yeah, <laughs> I just tough. can't. There's just certain things like Aaron Neville's voice. I know it's, it's crazy. So, Everybody else loves the Aaron Neville's voice, but I know for you, it's I've, I know you. It's, but now wait a minute, wait a minute. But so ultimately, what you've got to do is show her a documentary on Fleetwood Mac and discover the whole '60s Fleetwood Mac. Well, that's that. That's my next. That was my next point, Michael. <laughs> is that I tried to talk to her about the history, about, you know, how it, what the bass player was fucking the guitar player, the keyboard player was fucking the lead singer. They were all on cocaine, mountains and mountains of cocaine yes. and all that stuff. And, and she's like, and, like mommy and daddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tried to get her involved with the, the early history of the Mac, which half of those people weren't even in. Right, right, right. Party. Albatross, yeah, yeah. the Albatross uh, lineup. Yeah, yeah, right. Peter Green, right? keep the band together? I, that's what I don't understand. He's a solid but, drummer, man. I got to say, you know, Mick Fleetwood's a, he's a, he's a solid drummer, solid guy. He's a big guy, you well, know? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a good business nose on him, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's funny how he still has his nose after all these years. <laughs> still has a club in Hawaii and a and, uh, very, very successful club in Hawaii, apparently, um, there. Ah, yeah, uh, the think Hawaiian connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he lives there, but, yeah. But, but Manny, any, just about compared to, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby boomer, but compared to anything that's considered popular music these days, Anything your daughter is listening to from the seventies is got to be brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's real well, I, people like said, playing instruments. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, well, like I said, I appreciate that she's doing that, that she's got, you know, she discovered this. So she's discovering more and more and more, which I is, mean, hell, she might as well listen to ELO out of the blue next, right? Well, you, hey, you know, turn her on to Dylan, turn her on to Joni Mitchell. You know, she's going to like that, you know? Oh, no, she's already, no, she's gone through that, uh, those Bowie guys already. And, and the Velvets yeah. and all that stuff. She's into that. Top, of the, oh, that's top cool. of the charts in the mid 70s or late 70s. Well. You got to hit all the bands that had UFOs on their covers in '77. Well, well I don't just—I don't know about that, Michael. I think that's a bridge <laughs> too far, man. That lets bands just, like Boston in. Do you honestly think that Boston has the power to warp somebody fifty years later? Uh, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> well, I just—I um, just if, hope if, she. If the girl she walks in with flybacks, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Manny. I'm sorry. Well, no, I, I, I just, uh, I'm just waiting for her to be turned on to the knack. The knack, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Good girls don't, but I do. I remember when our, our guest, uh, Nicole Pavi, uh, was, came in to school and she's like, I like that song. I'm like, Nicole, please don't say that again. <laughs> that hurts my feelings. How come nobody's done a novelty thing called My Corona? Uh, I yeah, think well, I think a lot of people have, Mike. I think you're you're just not uh, your 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 antenna antennae are, are not up because yeah, I think that you, was that was you, pretty you know, pretty I, quick out of the out of the shoot just, with that one. Just lately, um, I I was a late bloomer to the faces. I'd never really listened to the faces mm-hmm. before, and I got in a great band, a group of friends, and I got together and we had a faces cover band where I got to do the Rod Stewart part. Oh, cool! And uh, and. Um, that was a blast, and of course, it had its it had its eighteen months, as everything should have eighteen months. Right, and, uh, Manny has said that before. Like bands have a life to them, you know, a year, a year and a half. You know, it's like uh, yeah. Jack it Oblivion. Looks- Jack Oblivion once told me that a band only has two good records. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about eighteen months. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if they get a chance to make a record, there are some bands who are really great but they have 18 months and if they don't get it done in 18 months, it's, it's over. over. Right, Whatever. right. The window closes. Yeah, no, like yeah. Elvis, Elvis was at sun for 18 months. Bowie was Ziggy Stardust for 18 months. Okay. Know? Into numerology here. I like that, Mike. You know, you're, you're uh, very my wife was pregnant for 18 months. Okay. Again, you know, a uh, double gestation, you know, but, uh, you know, it's a, she but cooked it good. Yeah. Yeah. He could have had twins. That's right. But when that water broke, man, it broke. No, the Red Sea. Well, you know, uh, Mike. One thing I, I read this uh, this uh, uh, essay that Kristen Hobbs wrote about the the experience of of participating in Teenage Tupelo, and she was talking about. I love this story. She's because it's you know pop culture folding in on itself. Where she's working at Sun Studios. This is after they reopened Sun, and it was kind of a, a tourist attraction, you know. And I guess you worked there for a time as well. But, uh, I worked there for yeah for almost four years. Okay, so she said she's there, you know, working whatever the front office, and the the cramps walk in. So Lux and Ivy, and she's like, "Oh fuck, the cramps! My favorite band, you know, since I'm a teenager, just walked in." And they look at her and they go, "Hey, wait a second, were you in Teenage Tupelo?" <laughs> <laughs> and she goes yes i was and they go yes that's our favorite movie i was like fuck know, that's a that's great pretty... that's a great memory man i know that was a, a, a fantastic memory and then i i pursued the cramps to try to get them to be in a in a movie that i never got to make where delana was going to play a, a monster made out of the pieces of dead movie stars <laughs> um 
called Cadavera, a comic book I did, but it, it was not to be. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I love that story in Kristen's essay. Delana wrote an essay. That's all those things are going to be in this book. And I wish I could tell you more about it, or I guess it's all a 2021 thing. Um, but the Sore Losers movie, you know, it's about juvenile delinquents in space that come to Memphis to kill hippies. We shot it on 16 millimeter film. And the soundtrack uh, is a double soundtrack with a whole bunch of great rock and roll punk garage rock stuff that came out in 97. And all that came out again last year as a Blu-ray and an LP. There's a Portuguese record label called Chaputa, and they put it out in Europe and Garner Records here in Memphis put it out. Yes. And we're going to we're going to try to do the same thing again with Teenage Tupelo, where uh, Chaputa puts out the Teen Tupelo LP. Um, in Europe, and and I'm not exactly sure who's going to put out the uh, stateside LP, but it's it's just a great position to be in where you, you we did something 25 you know 30 years ago that was so fucked up that it that it uh, that that it obviously has a life. It's going to have a life beyond our lives. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're cremated. It doesn't matter what it says on your tombstone. You know, as long as some fucked up loser kid can find my product and have it make 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 his existence justified in some way so that he plays distorted guitar or picks up a super eight camera if they still make them you know and talks his girlfriend into taking her clothes off or if he or if he (laughs) or if he or if he draws a comic book, you know, that nobody likes, but he does it anyway. I mean, that's that's how you go through a process where you discover your true self, your sense of individuality, no matter where you live. You know, it's about it's about willpower. All all my product is about willpower, I think, in some shape, form or fashion. So 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 when you say willpower, because I, I've made some short films over my life with uh, other people and stuff. And it really comes down to, and most of them are maybe five to 10 minutes long. Um, and I did do a, a mockumentary that Renee was a part of. When oh, I, first I was, moved to I was telling, I was telling Mike earlier in our first conversation that we had on the phone about uh, giving it to the people and, and your whole process and how we became friends. So yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, what, I, what was the title of that? Uh, giving it to the people. It's a, it's, it's a story about me. <laughs> Me running for mayor in 2002 in New Orleans. Okay. And, um, but I, I used to make short films with an old friend of mine back in L.A. Uh, her name was Modi Frank, and we made a bunch of films together. Um, yeah. but, but when you talk about, you know, you talk about the passion and what you have to do, and you mentioned earlier, way earlier tonight, that, you know, Ed Wood, and, and, and Ed Wood is like, you know, to us, we had we never had any money. We had enough money for a camera and the the, the film, and we would just you know you, you I called it guerrilla filmmaking, where you just go yeah. and say, listen, you get these actors, you give them the beginning line and the end line, and they fill in the rest, and you say action at this location, and, and you keep shooting it before you get kicked out. I mean, for you, I'm sure a lot of your films have been that way. Well, that's very similar. My my company's called Gorilla Monster Films. Um, yes. G U E R R I L L A. Gorilla Monster. Right. And the three the three tenets of our the three tenets of my filmmaking principles are: don't ask permission, shoot until they make you stop, and deny everything. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way it yeah. used to be because we would, I mean, are you going to ask for permission of, of a cool location or are you just going to shoot there and probably get away with it? Um, we, when we were trying to shoot this failed version of cadaver, because once, once I knew that the cramps weren't, weren't going to be in, in my full blown cadaver production, because I, I seriously didn't know how to raise the money and, um, I barely knew how to, you know, write the script. The script is very unorthodox, probably too unorthodox for them, honestly. Hmm. Um, and um, I remember we were going to go to this this old World War II ammunition dump that's out towards the airport here in Memphis. So it's a, it was a very cool location. I'd been there through a friend of mine because it, basically I wanted to dress up a, a guy like Hitler with some white lab rats, give him, give him Eva Braun as a girlfriend in a tight plastic suit, and then basically recreate the suicide scene in the bunker, which I don't think anyone's ever done in a nice day glow pop culture kind of way. Okay. Um, now we're into and, Manny. That's right up me and Manny's alley. <laughs> we, we refer to, we refer to that bunker right, scene all the time. <laughs> that's right up your bunker. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew that there were uh, police out there that monitored the place. And I also knew that my friend's little business had gone away from there and I don't, I no longer had a connection to get in. So for a long this time, you could go to Memphis thrift stores and you could buy Memphis cop shirts for like a dollar each. <laughs> and, you know, like actual Memphis police shirts. Right. <laughs> and so I outfitted my entire crew as Memphis policemen and we drove through the guard gate three nights in a row. <laughs> And where, 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 where this, this lady would just wave us through. Uh And then on the third night, she finally realized that we should not be there. And she came for us. And then I found out that she was actually military police. Oh, wow. That's a a federal crime. Yeah. Yeah. She said, what the hell are y'all doing? And here's a guy dressed as Hitler, you know, and, and then there's a girl (laughs) in a plastic suit and then there's the lab rats. And um, I'm like, well, we're, we're, isn't it obvious we're, we're making a movie. And she goes, uh, you can't make a movie here. She goes, how did, how did you get, how did you get in here? And I'm like, ma'am, you waved us through three <laughs> nights in a row. My, my, <laughs> my friend, it, it's my like, friend, I said, my friend had a business. My friend has a t-shirt printing business. It's over there. And she goes, no, that guy has not been in there for six months. And I knew that. Right, right. It was an excuse. It was something to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think something clicked in her mind and she realized that she was going to get in trouble. Right. If she got us in trouble. Yes. So I said, if you just let us finish this scene, we'll get out of here and we'll be out of your hair. And she goes, how long is that going to take? And I'm like, an hour. But of course, it took us four hours. Right. Uh, But she let us do it. And then we did it and we got out of there and I never even finished that movie. Okay. Embarrassing to say, because I always finish what I start, but that was one I did not finish. Okay. That, that, that kind of reminds me of, uh, I grew up, uh, uh, next, uh, in West Los Angeles, right next to Culver city where yeah. the old, where the old MGM studios were. Wow. And, uh, we used to go play in the black back lots as kids. We'd sneak in the back lots, the old Western studios and stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And, then as we got a little older and we got to, to drive and they're getting ready to tear them down. Uh, cause I think, uh, what was his name? Uh, Kirk Kikorkian bought up MGM and then Ted Turner bought it up. But there was one last summer where the MGM backlots were still there and we would drive to the gate and there was this old guy there <laughs> and he would say, pass like, you know, where's your pass? And we'd say pass. Okay. Thank you. And we just drive through. <laughs> 
But the last. No, no, he never bothered. No, 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 he didn't bother. We would go out there and fucking try to recreate, you know, scenes from, you know, movies that were shot there and stuff oh, like wow. that. Wow. But so it he was, didn't. So he didn't try to kill you later, like a Scooby Doo episode. Right. No, right. no. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you, <laughs> you pesky the, kids. The scariest thing. The scariest thing is, is that they. I think it was the summer of '78 or the fall of '78. They tore those. That, that whole back lot down. I mean, history, you know, LA always tears down their history. That's, right. that's what they do. Um, and they tore it down and you talk about ghosts and stuff like that. And I'm sure there are still ghosts there, but you know, what's on top of those old back lots hmm. are uh, acres and acres of senior citizen living facilities. Wow. Really? So you've got probably seniors there that are being, you know, you know, back in the eighties or nineties, you had seniors there who were getting scared by the ghost of Judy Garland, or, or Gloria ghost, Swanson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. like, yeah, all right. all those people right. who who work for MGM. Holy cow! Oh man, it's exciting. It's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. No, I'm, so yeah. so let me ask you a question. I, I'm 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 getting to know you more and more, but I didn't know this about you. You have a uh, a um, uh, a, uh, a, a ghost tour company. Oh, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to say I do. It's, it's kind of dormant, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Tour business is kind of slowing down for, for the moment, yeah. but uh, hopefully it's going to pick back up, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. I have, you know, when the pandemic finally hit, I'm like, finally, welcome to the crowd. You know, it's like, <laughs> I've been experiencing this for forever. <laughs> um, but no, it's the, the yellow fever rock and roll ghost tour. I, oh. I take you around to, Hey, uh, Renee, you'll appreciate this. I, I take people around to where Alex Chilton grew up, like okay. his house, whether right. people like it or not. I take them. Yeah. 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 Them. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, who knows what the people think who live there now, but, right. um, I, I like to go to places where rock stars or wannabe rock stars or pop stars, whatever, uh, had, experiences maybe death experiences mm -hmm. um memphis is is good for that like we you know we used to kick off at dr nick's a drugstore dr and, nick uh, dr nickapopoulos you know he got a yeah. bum rap you know he was trying to keep elvis alive that's what people think that that he was being irresponsible it's like he realized that if he didn't help elvis Elvis could get a new doctor in five minutes. So he was trying to keep, keep the, the lines of communication open and treat Elvis, you know, cause Elvis, you know, he's, it could be a difficult patient. So anyway, Dr. Nick. Yeah. Yes. No. yeah and, I, and, and, um, I, it, it, the man who performed the autopsy on Elvis came into sun one day as this elderly doctor. And I gave him a tour at sun. That was kind of weird. Um, and I confirmed everything that I had said on European film tours like years before. <laughs> I was like, are you sure this happened? And, you know, they, they cut Elvis's chest wide open and massaged, physically massaged his heart. Right. Um, and some of the interns, the young interns that were there in the ER, they didn't even know it was Elvis. Because even if it had looked like Elvis, I don't know what you're supposed to look like when you're in that, you know, sad mortal state. Right. Um, but they didn't even recognize him. And, and that fed into my theories about uh, when Elvis died, you know, not just rock and roll, but pop culture totally tanked as well. Um, and, and then the eighties, the eighties where you and me and um, a lot of other people, our age, late phase baby boomers um, 
we were expecting there to be some crazy 60s or 70s vibe to what we were going to experience. But no, in this post-Elvis traumatic world, all we experienced was some Reagan-era bullshit, uh, you know, death of um, whatever it was we were The dream. Death of the dream. Yeah, yeah. We th- I remember it like in, 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 in high school, uh, we thought, oh, in four years, weed will be legal. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I thought, you know, I thought that by going to art school, I, you know, at at least I'd get laid maybe or something. You know, I I, I thought, you know, surely I'm going to Memphis. Didn't they create rock and roll in Memphis? But in Memphis in the 80s was like this strange wasteland of, uh, I mean, there was hardcore punk rock here and and I was a part of that scene, but it wasn't like um, downtown was in ruins. You know, everything was economically uh, just depressed. Um, Right. And then here's and here's AIDS. Enjoy this, and try please try to get laid now that we have AIDS. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to get laid, not AIDS. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crazy so, man. So those are my sort of experiences, and and you mentioned fun a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the first two letters of fun are F U for sure. But okay. um, but but you know, having fun. Uh, if you talk to my 15 year old son or my 21 year old daughter about having fun, I I don't, it doesn't, it's different for them. They want to have fun, but we've sort of bleached it out of their character with so much consumption of media and Mm. all the political system that's failed and everything else. And it was beginning to fail then. Um, And why do I create art or why do I do all this crazy stuff? It's in some sort of semblance of fun or what I thought I was going, the fun I thought I was going to have, I realized I had to create for myself, if that makes any sense. It does, man. It does. No, it's, and you, you have to, you have to fight against the tide of, of the, the people that don't want to have fun. It's like, that's what we're doing in the Troubleman <clears throat> podcast. That's who we're trying to reach out to and uh, have fun, you know, amongst ourselves. And, 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 you know, we, we, Again, you are a perfect, uh, you know, Kristen Hobbs. Again, shout out to her because you are a perfect acquisition to to our the the uh, the 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 great uh, you know bunch of guests that we've always had on this on the show. And and man, you, uh, well, I, thank you. I, I can't thank believe you. we 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 haven't met before, but I'm so happy. And everybody, check out uh, GorillaMonsterFilms.com. You know, you won't be sorry. There's, he's got uh, Cigarette Girl. He's got uh, Broad Daylight. He's got Superstar Lit AD. Uh, Apocalypse Meow. I love that. Um, so uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff there on on your website and comic books and uh, Manny. It's it's been fun, right? Yeah. Um, also, you you got merch. You got merch too, don't you? Well, I do have the Sword Losers uh, Blu-ray. It's a three-disc Blu-ray, and um, uh, you know they wanted meat, so they ate the flower children. That's the <laughs> that's the Sword <laughs> Losers mantra. Uh, I did I did get to see a little bit of the Sword Losers, and I love the uh, your opening credits, the animation for your opening credits. I thought were just brilliant, man, just brilliant. Well, thank you. And we had Guitar Wolf in that movie too, you know, from Tokyo. Yeah, man, okay. you got the Asian element. It has that Godzilla vibe to it slightly, you know. It's like you've got all the you check all the boxes, man. <laughs> well, so, there's a lot of by the end of the 20th century, there's a lot of boxes to check. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
But I appreciate so, you saying all that. I, I really do. I just the Superstore Losers is out there now. I also have Cigarette Girl DVDs, and I'm working on the Teenage Tupelo Project. Nice. nice. And so the soundtracks for these films, you can get those also. Um, you know, you can get you can go on eBay and find all kinds of rarities and things. Um, Sympathy for the Record Industry put out uh, the Sore Losers and Teenage Tupelo as vinyl uh, 20 years ago, and those things are are floating about. Uh, a lot of my previous releases are bootlegs or they're out of print. Um, the Sore Losers exist in many shapes, uh, VHS, you know, and uh, DVDs and so forth. Um, but the but these versions that I'm putting out now will be the ultimate versions with director's commentaries and uh, photo galleries and um, you know, all kinds of uh, cool stuff. And and the Teenage Tupelo book is, God, it's now approaching like 180 pages. Wow. And, it, oh, and wow. that's just about the, the Memphis underground film and punk rock scene circa 94 to 96. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And, 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 you know, we, the Memphis always has had this, since I've been going there, it has this tradition of, you know, the art damage continuum, you know, like you, you had the <laughs> people like the, like Televista, you know, people like Tav Falco and Randall Lyons yeah. and Pat Rayner, yeah. you know, uh, before you guys and Jim Dickinson and you're, you're like, you're part, you're carrying the torch for that, that, uh, you know, Southern fried fruitcake, uh, uh, you know, but people that work hard and produce a lot of stuff and, and can it's, I, can I throw it, throw something at you real quick? Absolutely. Um, my sculpture, sculpture teacher in 1985 at the art school, John McIntyre, he's still around. He's 84 years old. Um, I check in on him. Um, he gave me, a, uh, a couple of boxes of super eight and 16 millimeter film that was shot by his film class at the art school from 68 to 73 and he had not seen the film so he still hasn't seen them but i've been digitizing the films um and um i'm going to put his narration over the footage and then we'll have music on it of course and it's going to be a very free-formed hallucinogenic documentary about the art school and it couldn't come at a better time since the art school really got a raw deal and got put out of business um and then dealt another raw deal with the covid thing right uh and i hope I hope to have that out at the end of the year or maybe next year is the target date for a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. um, because of all the uh, pace that people are working at right now. Right. But um, but the art school documentary will be fun because it's just very uh, nonchalant, weirdo, hippie kids making Super 8 films. And then I've got a box full of this stuff. So um, we'll see how that goes. Nice. Nice. So Nation, uh, you know, check out uh, check out all Mike's work on, uh, you know, GorillaMonsterFilms.com. And thank you so much for coming on the on the on the uh, Troubleman podcast, Mike. It's it, I'm so glad we got to meet, and it's, it's been great talking to you. Same here. You guys take care, and thanks for having me on. Well, you, know, right, you take care, buddy. So you know, Mike, you uh, in the Trouble Nation, we always like to. Well, well, uh, we, one more thing, Renee. Oh yeah, one go ahead. Thing. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just have to say, I'm sure you wrote this. I love this line. Elvis is alive. Paul is dead. And I ain't feeling so well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> brilliant. The Beatles, yes. What, what, where would I be without? You should go online and look for Elvis meets the Beatles. It's a 22 minute short that I did. Uh, I'm doing it right now, buddy. Nice, nice. All right. Okay, so, so good uh, Mike, night. Thanks again for being on the show. Yes, and, Thank and you. you know, Mike, in the troubled nation, we always like to say, uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
Thank you. 